Gil Alexander, your betting door, pregame.com. And I did not expect to talk to Mark this quickly, but those second round series in the NBA were so quick, with the exception of one, he is back Monday morning. Give us his take on the NBA playoffs. Mark Spears from Yahoo Sports. What's happening, Mark? Oh, man, just out here in Hollywood looking out my window at a very smoggy L.A. <laughs> it is. Well, you see, they gave you what they advertised then. That's exactly what it should be. Oh, it's a beautiful view, though. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's interesting what you can see on top of uh, on rooftops. <laughs> really? What have, what yeah, have you yeah. uh, spied this morning? Playing soccer on top of buildings. And, nice. You know, interesting. It's World Cup fever, Mark. I'm saying. I know. The U.S. has to catch it at some point. Yes, that's right. Better. Than, have you caught any yet? Do you feel it in the air? No. Oh, I'm a, well, I'm a soccer fan. Who's your team? Mm, I mean, I always like watching Brazil play, mm-hmm. just because I like. That's just the pageantry of it, you know. Right. Um, no, my favorite team is United States. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm. Um, I, I love. You know what? I, I don't like. This might sound weird. I don't. I'm not a big pro soccer fan, but I'm an international soccer fan. Just think that uh, there's just so much more passion and energy when guys are playing for their country. Yeah, I think I think a lot of people would fall into that category. Maybe maybe the purists would scoff at us, but I think a lot of us feel that way. Nothing like the World yeah. Cup, that's for sure. No, no, I'm I'm definitely. Like, I mean, I watch every. I don't I don't care if it's Ecuador against Iran. I watch that. You right. know. I don't think they're in it, at least. But anyways, you know, you get my point. I just I just love those games. I'll sit and watch every one of them. I'm not trying to watch Real Madrid, you know, even as great as they are against, uh, you know, the San Jose Earthquakes. It's <laughs> 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 not that interesting. Yeah, I know. It's not quite, not quite the passion involved. I understand. Yeah. All right, well, you're in L.A., obviously, to cover the NBA playoffs, uh, Western Conference Finals between the uh, Suns and the Lakers, which kicks off, or I should say tips off, if I'm to be proper about it tonight. But before we get into the uh, playoff talk, it is, I'm just going to mark it down on the calendar right now, Mark. It is May 17th. The NBA trading discussions are not officially allowed to begin, or not trading, but I should say free agency discussions are not officially allowed to begin until July 1st, and then the signings not officially uh, allowed to be made until July 10th. But here we are at a pace that is going to be ridiculous if we are to sustain up until then. So many rumors flying about LeBron James. You have been on record on this show as saying you you thought before this last series that he would stay in Chicago. Have you have you swayed off that opinion at all now? Um, it changed by the hour now. Um, thing is this. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk right now about him going to Chicago and a lot of talk about going to the Heat. Miami, I just don't see it. Um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if... It, I, I just don't know if two superpowers can coexist. You know, the Batman and Superman, you know, they were on the Super Friends together, but they they weren't on the same team all the time, you know. <laughs> if if, if waiting... You know, the, the one thing you got to remember... That I that I saw with the Celtics is um, I know this is going to be a long soliloquy, but uh, when Kevin Garnett came, Paul Pierce was still the face face of the franchise, you know, um, and he still gets announced last in the starting lineups. He's still the only captain, so you know if if LeBron does go there, which I guess is possible, you know, he goes there knowing that. Even as 
great as he is, it's it's Dwayne Wade. You know what I mean? It's still the Dwayne Wade show, and and, and just in a sense, out of respect, he has to. It's kind of deferred away. You know what I mean? So, in other words, if they were to win a championship, it would not have the same LeBron-only focused feel, is what you're saying. It will always sort of yeah, be... Yeah, I mean, if, if uh, I just wonder if those guys deep down really want to share... Right. I know they all want to win, but do they want to share it like that? I, I think they're still maybe too earlier, early in their careers to do a Celtic, I guess you could say. To gotcha. do a Pierce, you know, uh, Garnett. Allen, you know what I mean? Maybe when they're closer to 30, but I, I don't know if they're quite ready to to do that now, although they might. Who knows? Um, as far as Chicago's concerned, I think that's interesting, you know, that, that LeBron will consider Chicago. Um, but to me, both LeBron and Derrick Rose need the ball in their hands to be successful. So how would that work, you know, because LeBron, again, you're, you're dealing with a guy who is Chicago, is the face of the franchise. Is You know, LeBron would probably overtake that, but it's Derrick Rose show. Derrick Rose is the point guard. He's not going to just sit there on the wing and let LeBron do all the dribbling, you know. And who knows, maybe LeBron is ready to play like that. But I, I, I think the one thing people have to remember is it's still a long ways before this can be real. And... I think a lot of LeBron's emotions might not, you know, nobody's talked to him, but while his emotions may be sky high and the disappointment might be sky high, in a month or so, he'll have a, definitely an opportunity to, to to let a lot of those feelings subside and let his real feelings come in. And then there's the financial aspect. If you can't get a sign-and-trade, and I don't know that Cleveland wants to do a sign-and-trade with Chicago because they're not going to get Dwayne Wade. From I mean, from Miami or from Chicago, because they're not going to get Derrick Rose. I mean, if you're not going to give me a star, why should I do a sign and trade with you? If he goes to one of those places straight up, he loses a year and thirty million. Yeah, you know that's, that's a lot that money, little man. that little million matter million of thirty million dollars. You know, so <laughs> even Dwayne Wade said it best. He said he, you know, hey Warren Buffett wouldn't. I think he said Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett wouldn't sneeze at thirty million dollars. You know, so it's like a lot. It, it's if they had beaten the Celtics right now or playing right now, nobody would be talking about anything. But because they lost, you know, and maybe we're not giving enough credit to the Celtics, but because they lost, the speculation is just going to be so crazy wild. But as you said, nothing could happen until July. Yeah. July is still a month and change away. Well, let me ask you about two rumors that are out there today, and you can just sort of wave one off, wave both off, or, or give credence to either if you'd like. Oh, uh, don't say Delonte West, please. No, 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 no. These are just <laughs> <laughs> no, not that rumor, not the okay. not the Delonte West rumor that is circulating about he and LeBron's mama. I'm talking about the ones that are in the uh, mainstream press at this point. One uh, reporting that Charles Oakley, I should say the New York Daily News reporting that Charles Oakley, who knows LeBron and is friends with LeBron, say it's between uh, Chicago and Miami. That's it. And then another rumor saying that powerful basketball broker, that's how he's being billed. Uh, Worldwide. Yeah. Worldwide West. Worldwide West. West, uh, Is it William Wesley? Uh, yeah. who who apparently is saying or apparently is being um credited with brokering a Calipari James package deal. 
Do you believe either of those or both of them or none of them? I believe both of them, and I believe that a lot of time will pass, and I believe that when it's all said and done, I mean, I don't know, maybe what happened makes it easier for him to leave, you know? Yeah. But I'll tell you this, that's your home, that's where you grew up. I've talked to this kid about Akron. He loves Akron. Loves being from Ohio. If you leave there, I, I just don't know that people will ever feel feel the same about you. And I don't know that you'll ever get treated the same. I don't know if that championship would feel the same. I mean, I, I just think that uh, it's one thing to say that you're going to leave. And luckily for the Cavaliers, it's not an overnight decision. But I just think that come July, say you're going to go and actually doing it are two different things. And I could be naive. I'm trying to look at the think of the psychological aspect of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I just I just know how much he loves it there, and how much a championship wouldn't the champagne of that wouldn't taste the same. You know, and, and it's not like the Cavs are terrible. It's not like he's old and he's, you know, uh, my window is closing. His window's wide open. There's a big breeze coming through it. You know, yeah. just maybe, maybe, uh, I think Mike Brown, unfortunately, will end up being a scapegoat there. But I just want, I just, I, it all sounds good now. All emotions are high now. But once it subsides, with $30 million you're going to have to give up, with with a home base that you're going to have to give up, I, I think that's going to be harder to leave than it just sounds right now. I like that you're sticking to your guns on this. I do because I, I actually think I think you're I think there's part of me that that thinks you're right that this is again if we are going to continue this pace over six weeks of rumors about LeBron, good lord, you know. And I think you're right. I like the, the champagne won't taste as good defense is, is actually an interesting one. It just might not be the place he wants to leave just because he wants to be treated a certain way or thought of in a certain way. That's a big deal for the rest of the time. So let me ask you about Orlando and Boston. We saw game one. Boston looks like they picked up just where they left off after uh, their series against LeBron and the Cavs. Any reason to believe we're not looking at the 2008 Celtics again? I tell you what, man. <laughs> maybe, maybe people need to start giving the Celtics just more credit. I mean, I always felt that if they were healthy, they're the best team in the East anyway. So it's like everybody's so surprised that they knocked off LeBron. Remember, and I want to go back. They they started off real fast. They had the best record in the in the East in the beginning. They beat Cleveland in their house in the season opener, and then Kevin Garnett started having problems, and Paul Pierce started having problems, and you know they were having some health issues, and they kind of were more mediocre. But one thing I'll give them credit for, and you know I covered them for two years, is they constantly kept saying over and over and over again. That's, we're, we're going to flip that switch. Just let us get healthy. We're going to flip that switch. And I was like, and I've written about it like twice, I believe. When was this, was this switch going to flip? Well, flipped in the playoffs. Flipped in the first round and flipped playing Miami. And, you know, Miami um, definitely gave them the, their confidence back. They gave them their swagger back. And their defense is back. I mean, 
<laughs> see, see how hard they made it. You know, they, 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 for the Heat to score outside of Wade, they just let Wade just do do his thing and knew everybody else couldn't do anything. The Celtics are back, man. And, and if they play defense the way they've been playing, I mean, look what they did against Orlando. They could beat anybody, mm-hmm. Lakers included. I mean, <laughs> their defense is just that special. And um, they, in their heart, believe they could beat anybody if healthy. So I, I don't know why everybody's so shocked that they beat the Cavaliers because they're healthy, you know. And and um, I think entering the season, I I, I don't know. I don't know. You got to go look back in the archives, but I think I probably picked them to be there, you know. And they so. and they did start to your point. I think it was. I want to say I'm doing this off the top of my head. I want to say they started 23 and five out of the gates this year before, yeah. before the injuries. <laughs> Everybody forgets that. Yeah. People do have short-term memories, don't they, Mark? It's amazing. People. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely a internet text message. What have you done lately for me, world? Um, but all those teams in the East knew that in the back of their mind, if the Celtics were healthy, they'd be a bitch to deal with. And is Rondo? You co- you were, you alluded to it. You were at the Boston Globe for uh, for two years. Is Rondo the player that you always thought he would be at this point, or is this surprising to you? No. Because I know how he works, you know. Um, I know he's a special athlete. I think uh, if he wanted to play football right now, he'd be a hell of a defensive back. He's a freak, freak athlete. He has these, like, seven-footer arms, Dr. J hands, crazy athleticism. He's so fast that it doesn't matter that he can't shoot that great from outside. He'll just drive by you anyway. Um, his passing has improved a lot. There's something quietly that nobody really talks about with him. But I've noticed his passing has gotten better. He's getting the ball to Ray Allen in better places in rhythm, and, and he wasn't really getting into him before. His voice is stronger. Um, and I know that after practice, he shoots that jumper. He works on it. And he, he's just not satisfied with being an all-star satisfied with now being who I believe the face of the franchise he strives to be the best defender in the NBA and strives to be the best player in the NBA you know he's a cocky dude and uh, he knows he has to work to get to that level so no I'm not surprised so am I hearing that you're uh, you're leaning towards the Celtics here in this series I'm not leaning <laughs> I'm Saying. You're saying. Okay, I love it. <laughs> All right. All right, Ed, uh, you have been dead on accurate in the West. You said the Spurs beat the Mavs. They did. You said the Suns would then turn around and beat the Spurs. They did. Now, what do you say, sir? Uh, Lake Show and Six. Lake Show and Six. Although, you know, if you read on Yahoo today, the, the Suns running game is certainly, certainly should be a concern, but, um, I, you know, I wonder if Bynum gets axed out of this series. Um, but Lamar is so good that even if he does, you know, I think they'll figure out, figure it all out. Sure. Well, I'm not going to question you in the West, as you seem to have a peg. <laughs> and then uh, the 2008 uh, finals rematch is what you're saying, and, of course, the, the marquee matchup in any NBA season, the Lakers and the Celtics. Who you got? No, we'll wait till the next round, man. Right. I'll talk to you again. Okay, cool. All right. Well, Mark is at the uh, is in Hollywood. He's covering the Lakers and the uh, Suns today, so we got to let him go because he's got a column to file. He's got other stuff to do. So, Mark, always appreciate you uh, joining us 
on the pregame betting dork podcast, my friend. All right, brother. Take care now. You too. Mark Spears, Yahoo Sports, kind enough once again to be on the show. I really appreciate it. Should have uh, tried to press forward on that Delonte West, LeBron's mama question, huh? All right. He didn't seem like he wanted any part of it, though, so (laughs) I had to back off. All right. Let's talk baseball. Before, actually, I want to get into the, uh, of course, our weekly stats that we always get into every week, talking about totals betters and run line betters going to get into the umpire over under numbers here real quick today as well as top run supported pitchers per nine innings in baseball both american league and national league just as an indicator of good fortune and also top uh best and worst i should say run line teams in all of baseball for run line betters just want to mention about the mlb daily thread that i put out um mentioned on the thread this morning that i will be selling packages a week from now and i will be But it is very important to me that you know that the thread will not fundamentally change. And what I mean by that is I will continue to give free picks throughout the Major League Baseball season. That will not go away a week from now. I will give free picks throughout the MLB season. Now, it might not be multiple picks every day, and there might even be some days where there won't be a free pick. But in general, every morning when you wake up, you'll see a free pick there in the MLB thread. Besides that, though, the main other thing that I want to point out is what I love most about the thread beyond the free picks is the interaction. I love that during the course of a day, when I'm in front of a computer anyway, that we can get into these exchanges of ideas about particular games. Now, I'm not going to be in front of the computer every single you know, first pitch of every single game every single day because they're staggered throughout the day as we know and throughout the evening. Um, But to the extent that I can answer questions before a first pitch is thrown that we can actually get final thoughts in before a game starts, I love doing that. And I love having that free flow of ideas between you and me because, I mean, not only am I dispensing information, but you're teaching me some stuff too about certain things that I may have overlooked. So I love that interaction that we have. And that's what that MLB thread is about. It's about the free picks. It's about exchange of ideas and the interactive nature of it not only when I first post it and the first responses but then as just a living breathing document throughout the rest of the day as we chat with each other on the thread so I love that and none of that changes uh, a week from now it's just that gonna enhance it with some packages as well so hopefully um, if you're into the sabermetric thing if you're into just really grinding out baseball season would love to have you aboard, but fear not, the thread will not fundamentally change. All right, so let's get into these stats. We do it every week, and again, I do this for totals and run line betters. I am not a totals and run line better um, first, as you know, but I know a lot of you are, and I want to cater to those of you who really like those kinds of bets. So with totals in mind, we go to the umpires. And again, I'm going to keep pounding these umpires' names because you will see over time and be like, wow, he's mentioned that dude every single week as an over-umpire. Or he's mentioned that dude every single week as an under-umpire. What I mean by an over-ump or an under-ump is simply an umpire who a large percentage of times behind the plate has been there when games have gone over the total or games have gone under the total. There is a rhyme and reason to this. Certain umpires have wide strike zones. Certain umpires have small strike zones. 
perhaps that's the reason. But for whatever reason, they have a penchant for being behind home plate when those results occur. So let's talk about the top over umpires in all of baseball. And you will recognize some of these names from weeks past. And like I said, I'm just going to keep pounding this weekly. And at some point you're going to be like, I'm really going to check to see who's umping this game. Because this dude is over every time. Let's talk about the biggest overumps. Mark Wegner. You've heard me mention him before. He is the number one over-umpire in all of baseball. Six out of the seven games he's been behind home plate have gone over. Mark Wegner, six out of seven. Tim Welke, five out of six, have gone over for Tim Welke. Pretty impressive stuff. Five out of seven. Angel Campos, Lazaro Diaz, you're like, yep, he says his names every week. Todd Tishner and Mike Everett, all of those guys, five out of seven. By the way, there is one six out of nine. This will be a new name. Angel Hernandez, or Angel Hernandez, six out of nine. By the way, Sam Holbrook is four for four. He hasn't been behind home plate as many times as the others, but he is four for four. So those are the top over umps in all of baseball. Again, the biggest, Mark Wegner at 6 out of 7 and Tim Welke at 5 out of 6. But those others are big time over umps as well. And again, is it a function of their strike zone being so small that games tend to go over? Because it's harder for pitchers. You know, pitchers are constantly trying to throw perfect pitches and as a result they're almost too perfect and they're getting raked By the way, if I look at the strike percentages of these umpires, and yes, I do have some of that at my disposal, is there a market difference? Uh, You know, I don't know. Kind of. You know, the the, the umpires that I just mentioned to you as being the most over-umps in all of baseball, is their strike zone tougher to get to? A little. Maybe a percentage point or two. And that's the margin we're talking about here. So I'm just roughly, I've not done the math, but of the, of the umps I just mentioned to you, most of them fall into about the, I'll say they average at around 61% of a strike percentage rate. When I get into the under umps now, where the strike zone is wider, you'll notice that it's maybe 62% on average or 63% on average. So there is a little slight difference just on a glance, and that's all it takes between the top overumps and the top underumps. Here are the biggest underumps. Again, their strike zone's a little wider. Six out of seven times this dude has been behind home plate, the game has gone under. Bruce Dreckman. Six out of seven times Bruce Dreckman. Five out of six times Jim Wolf. Six out of eight times and you will recognize these names from previous podcasts. Six out of eight times. C.B. Buckner, Mike Estabrook, Tim Timmons. I have said those three names all year long as the top underumps. And sure enough, they're at a 75% pace going under six out of eight times. By the way, I was watching a game the other night, and they mentioned, the announcers casually mentioned that Estabrook was behind the plate, and so I immediately looked to the score, and sure enough, under. Sure enough. By the way, I mentioned that Bruce Dreckman was 6 out of 7 and Jim Wolf was 5 out of 6. Wolf is actually the guy with the least average amount of runs per game scored. 
When he is behind home plate, Jim Wolf, only 5.8 runs per game have been scored. <laughs> I wonder. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I haven't like totally analyzed. But by the way, his strike zone, 64% strike rate. So he's really high, and that makes sense then. Because pitchers love him. Other under umps, five out of seven. Uh, Paul Nauert, Jim Joyce, Bill Hone, John Hirschbeck, you've heard me mention him, Chris Guccione, Paul Emmel, who you've heard me mention, and Wally Bell. All those guys, five out of seven, have gone under. So again, those are names you should just keep aware of as the season progresses. Those umpires have the biggest penchant for games going over or under the total, respectively. All right, let's talk about, speaking of totals, this is, again, just another factor that we like to touch on week by week because it's an interesting thing to track. Again, do you bet it blindly? No, you should never bet any one statistic blindly, certainly not this one. But it is an interesting factor to note which pitchers have just been fortunate, which pitchers have just been plain lucky this year in terms of the run support their offense gives them per nine innings. And you can use that as an indicator of, yeah, I think these guys will regress to the mean here at some point, which is how I use them. Or maybe you're sort of more on the superstitious side or more on the streaky believing side where you're like, no, if they're getting it now, they're getting it the whole year. I leave that to you. But you will notice that I am fading my two free picks today. I'm fading two pitchers on this list. And I didn't even mention this stat in either of my write-ups in these games. In the American League, the number one run-supported pitcher per nine innings, Phil Hughes of the New York Yankees. He hasn't really needed it because he's been lights out so far, but Phil Hughes is getting 7.85 runs per game of support this year for the Yankees. And I'm just saying, I don't think he can count on that every night. That's all. Number two is Brandon Morrow, hardly the pitcher Phil Hughes has been. Brandon Morrow is getting 7.46 runs of, of support per nine innings. Luke Hoshaver of the uh, Kansas City Royals, 7.12 runs per game. The Royals have managed to put out for Hoshaver. That's a little surprising. Just looking down the American League list to see anybody else who might be pitching tonight, I do see that Jeff Neiman is at number 10, much like Phil Hughes, not a guy who has needed it thus far. Because of stellar pitching, Neiman is getting 6.18 runs of support per nine innings per game this year. And Gio Gonzalez of the Oakland Athletics, who's pitching tonight, he's 13th on the American League list at 6.13 runs of support uh, per game this season. And that wraps up in terms of pitchers tonight in the American League. National League, though, there's a whole host of them pitching today who are on this list. First of all, the top three Randy Wolf of the uh, Brewers is number one at 8.75. In fact, the number one, two, and three in the NL actually lead the majors. Wolf is at 8.75 runs per game. Wow. Jamie Moyer, the 47-year-old, is getting a mess of run support from the Phillies, but there's three Phillies pitchers on the top 20, so you know that's just about the Phillies' offense, period. Jamie Moyer is getting 8.34 runs per game per nine innings. He's the biggest beneficiary of the solid Phillies offense. And then a guy who we've mentioned from day one this year on this list, Kevin Correa of the Padres, on the strength of a 17-run Padres outburst, in a game he was pitching earlier this year, Correa is getting 8.24 runs per game this year. So he's pretty much uh, sustained it nicely over time, that's for sure. Um, but on the list as well today in the National League, pitchers who are pitching, we mentioned the Phillies. Kyle Kendrick is the ninth most run-supported pitcher in the National League. He's pitching tonight, 6.63 runs per game. Um, 
Aaron Cook of the Rockies is at 13. He's pitching today. He's getting six runs of support, 6.02 runs of support per nine innings pitched. And then the gentleman I'm fading, I'm taking the Brewers, and I'm fading Johnny Cueto, who's in 15th place in the National League on the run sport list. Johnny Cueto has gotten 5.79 runs per game this year, and I just don't think it's going to last, is all I'm saying. Cueto's on the list. 17th and 18th are also pitching tonight. Edwin Jackson of the Diamondbacks, Randy Wells of the Cubs, respectively, 5.48 and 5.44 runs per game. Again, a stat that is just an interesting one as a reflection of good fortune. And all I'm saying is in the betting lines, you know, the public may have a skewed perception of some of these pitchers. In other words, some people might think, oh, Randy Wolf, he's great. Look, jeez, hey, he wins all these, you know, I mean, I don't know what he's, you know, his record's not anything like through the roof, right, at this point. But it is, I guess what I'm saying, something that is not necessarily built into betting lines. And the public might have a skewed perception of a lot of these pitchers. So they may think to themselves, you know, they may not know that Randy Wolf you know, is getting all that kind of run support the next time he's going up. Maybe not as valuable a stat for a guy like Wolf as it is for some others, like the Quatos of the world, if you know what I'm saying. Because Wolf is a 3-3 three and three pitcher this year, you know, and he's getting a mess of run support. Would he be 3-3 three and three without all that run support? No is the answer. So I guess the very casual public better will just see 3-3 three and three and be like, oh, he's pretty good. He's good enough. Yeah, we want to know all the facts. Just a tool, just one, I guess, one more statistic that you can have at your disposal to handicap ball games, And it's an interesting thing. I tend to think there's a regression to the mean more times than not on this stuff, but there are definitely cases, I'm the first to admit, where some of these pitchers just get lucky like this all season long. It's like when they go to the hill, their teammates are like, oh, yes, I feel like scoring runs today. Let's rake. And there's other pitchers where they're like, yeah, I'm not hitting for that dude. I am not hitting the baseball today for this schmuck. It's just a very fascinating thing. But again, just a function of good fortune and bad fortune, that's all. All right, run line betters. And I like looking at this once a week, too, because we get a sense of, are the same teams at the top and at the bottom of this list? Or are we seeing a trend for some other team? Let's answer that very quickly. The top run line teams in all of baseball, all year long it's been the Mets. Well, it's not the Mets anymore. The Mets are in third. Again, this is a function of if you bet on the run line blindly from day one this season, every single game a certain ball club has played, if you bet a unit as a dog run line or to win a unit, if you happen to be a favorite run line, or however the numbers break down, you understand what I'm saying. Because oftentimes it doesn't work out that cleanly on run lines, but you know what I'm saying. To win a unit or to risk a unit on the run line, whether favorites or dogs, blindly all year long, this is where they place. And the Mets are third now. They would have won you 11.7 units this year if you had bet the Mets blindly. But they're not in first anymore. Second place, just above them, figures the Yankees plus 12.3 units on the run line this year. And then number one, and they first crept into our list last week, I believe, but not only are they number one now, they are number one with a bullet, and there is a gap between them and the second-place Yankees in terms of run line. The Toronto Blue Jays, 
16.15 units in your pocket this year on the Blue Jays. And again, what I like to say about the run line, it's, it's kind of a de facto power ranking. It means when you win, you win big. It means when you lose, you keep it close to within a run and a half, if you will. And conversely, the opposite. If you're one of the worst run line teams, it means that when you lose, you lose big, more than a run and a half. And when you lose, or excuse me, when you win, oftentimes you're just squeaking by. So the Blue Jays, by far, by the way, against the run line this year, the Blue Jays are 27 and 12. In real life, they're 23 and 16. They're even better on the run line, 27 and 12. Worst teams in all of baseball on the run line, well, the White Sox remain the worst. Not by much, but they remain the worst. They still have not recovered from that early season stretch when PV and Burley were just getting housed. The White Sox would have cost you 12.65 units had you bet them blindly on the run line all year long. Terrible run line team. Just behind them, though, the Milwaukee Brewers, all of a sudden. 12.10 units in the red you would be had you bet the Brewers blindly all season long. And then the third and fourth worst run line teams, I'll mention them both together since they're so close. The third, the Cubbies, down 10.9 units this year on the run line. Yesterday, a perfect example. Yes, the Cubs managed to miraculously beat the Pirates. Don't rub it in. As we had the Pirates plus 220 yesterday. It took an error and two wild pitches, both with two outs in the bottom of the 7th and 8th. Or all, I should say, with two out in the bottom of the 7th and the 8th combined for the Cubs to miraculously beat the Pirates yesterday at Wrigley. But again, they only won by a, they only won by a run, so they lost on the run line. They're the second worst run line team in all of baseball. Um, excuse me, the third worst, I should say, down 10.9 units. And the fourth worst, just clipping, or just nipping at the heels of the Cubs, the Boston Red Sox, who have been on this list all year long, but have slowly started to get off it, but they're still suffering from those early season woes. They would have cost you 10.85 units on um, the run line this year. And by the way, the Red Sox, just record-wise, have the worst run line record. They're 12 and 26 on the run line. So you say to yourself, how do they have the worst record, Gil, but are the fourth worst run line team? So they have the worst record against the run line, but they're only the fourth worst run line team money-wise. The reason is, is that they have um, won. In other words, it, that's a function of what the numbers were with every game. So it doesn't always work out cleanly that if you have the you know, the worst or best record on the run line that the money works out uh, cleanly in correspondence. It all depends what you're giving. It all depends what you're getting. And so in the case of the Red Sox, their record is the worst, but they would have cost you the fourth worst amount of money. Again, the worst money pit on the run line remains the Chicago White Sox. So that's your totals and run line stats for this week as we like to do each and every week on the Betting Dork Podcast. Um, tomorrow, the first appearance of Sack Lawson, pregame pro Sack Lawson making his debut appearance on the Betting Dork Show. And then Wednesday, it's the Mega Dork Cast itself, as I like to call it. Base winner joins me for the regular Wednesday Sabermetric Show. We go in deep into the lab and uncover some Sabermetrics gems for the betting day on Wednesday and beyond, not just for Wednesday's betting board. Thursday, pregame forum guest, unassail, in the house to talk about his MMA picks. And in general, 
his strategy for picking MMA. I'm looking forward to it. He can teach me a thing or two about betting mixed martial arts. And then Friday, of course, the standard Vegas runner show, the big show, if you will, of the week. Vegas runner and I talking about, I don't know, 17 different sports on Friday for your weekend betting festivities. Love that. So that's the whole week laid out for you. Appreciate it again. Mark Spears of Yahoo Sports joining us yet again, his third appearance uh, on the Betting Dork podcast. He joined us before the playoffs, uh, before round two, and now before uh, these conference finals. Well, one game in the books, but in general, before the conference finals. And he'll join us before the NBA finals as well. Thanks to him again. Gil Alexander, thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you inside the MLB forum thread. Take care.